Kyle, thanks so much for joining us on Speaking Out of Making Healthcare Work for You. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta, and today we are welcoming our guest, Dr. Dalila Lewis, who is the Division Chief of Pediatric Neurology at the MUSC Sean Jenkins Children's Hospital in Charleston, South Carolina, and she is also the Child Neurology Residency Program Director. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to have been invited, and I'm happy to spend some time talking with you we are really excited to have you. We found you because there was a really amazing article in the local Charleston paper, and it was talking about all of your accomplishments. And I was so struck by so many things, including the fact that the department that you're in now was pretty challenged with high turnover and inability to get people in a permanent position there. And now you're there leading this, taking on the challenge, but really making an impact, taking the wait times from sometimes eight or nine months to get seen by a neurologist to now sometimes just weeks. What has it been like for you to be at MUSC and being able to make that tangible difference in a year or less? It's been a great opportunity and it's also been very, very rewarding. I was um, struck you know, by the ability for the team that I am working with to kind of work together and to be open-minded about kind of out-of-the-box solutions um, to some of the problems and challenges that this division has previously faced. Um, and new leadership, um, you know, and welcoming new leadership uh, and, and, and not necessarily being met with skepticism. Um, and so the ability to be able to work with a team and be open-minded uh, and then implement, uh, you know, ideas and uh, changes quickly has been really, really nice and it, and that has been rewarding in order to be able to see that those changes have made measurable impact in some of the things that you've mentioned as far as uh, changing and improving the wait times for the um, you know for the population for many of whom have been waiting for several months improving continuity of care which is another one of my pillars uh, that I'm working towards um, and then also improving um, just the morale um, and, and of, of the people that I work with, particularly the physicians, um, and, uh, and, and recognizing that we're moving towards a shared common vision and goal, um, and that by continuing working together and continuing to listen to each other and be open-minded, we can get there. Um, and, and I have found that since day one, as far as kind of arriving boots on the ground, uh, in August, I have had a very supportive team um, from uh, my leadership, so from the department as well as the hospital administration, um, in, in support uh, in being able to, um, to have buy-in to kind of move some of my ideas forward. What are some of the greatest challenges you found, Dr. Lewis? It seems like you've had a lot of support, but are there things that have been particularly uh, difficult to work through? Even though in retrospect, things have happened and have moved along at the time that I'm actually kind of working through it. It seems like sometimes <laughs> there's a lot of infrastructure uh, to, to, uh, to work with and some, um, some barriers that aren't necessarily administrative, but that are systematic, some kind of systems improvement, um, uh, you know, barriers that um, have been, you know, have, have represented a challenge. What I have found though, is that by, um, speaking directly with people as opposed to kind of making assumptions that something cannot change because this is the way it's always been. But by trying to get to the source of the root of why has why is this system in place and how can we go about changing it, um, I have found that 
sometimes it may take a little bit to find out where the system uh, um, can be changed or who the person is that can help change the system. Um, but by being able to kind of nail down it and then talk one-on-one -on -one with people, um, that has really been key in being able to then make changes uh, you know, that will uh, that provide benefit, and they may not entirely change the system, but we can change components of the system to work for our benefit. It was something that you mentioned too, along making changes, but for the patients, is being able to be a diverse figure within this department. And you said that you're happy to add to the diversity, but also that they had a pretty diverse team in place. So what has it been like for you joining that team and becoming part of Charleston? You know, like that's also been an aspect that I have found very, very rewarding. When I um, interviewed for the position here, I was um, able to interact and meet with other division chiefs uh, in the department. And I was struck by how many of them were women. And I found that very, very encouraging because it signaled to me um, that the, um, the administration and leadership as a whole recognizes that there is value um, and, and diversity, and not just gender diversity, but also um, diversity of backgrounds, diversity of, um, of, of, of really kind of multiple factors, uh, because there's also was a, a wide age distribution as well. So I, it also signaled to me um, that all perspectives are valued. The perspective of people who had long experiences are, are valued, but also those who are younger, but also have, um, you know, varied experiences to bring to the table. Um, and so in being the first woman of color to lead the, the division, I think that um, from the perspective of knowing where we are in the South, you know, and that kind of thing, that in and of itself is not terribly surprising. How, um, however, I would say that within the realm of where I see MUSB is going and, and, and the changes that they have um, you know, been moving forward with diversity prior to my coming here, that I don't find that a surprise. And I expect there to be more um, you know, diversity and leadership um, moving forward because that is something that as a department, the pediatrics department chair, uh, Dr. Andy Atts has championed and has been championing for quite, for, for quite some time. Um, and I'm pleased to be really in a department um, that values that and that recognizes um, that um, that moving forward uh, really requires diversity. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, how you've been able to make some of these dramatic changes? I mean, taking the wait times down from months to weeks, what exactly two or three things that you did that would uh, help our audience understand how you troubleshoot that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that being a leader requires to be able to also put yourself into the process. And I think that my background um, in, in not just leadership, but my background is just kind of in, in practice and being and seeing patients, I very quickly inserted myself into the schedule to see patients um, just as much, if not more, than my subspecialty colleagues. Um, and I did that for a couple of reasons. Number one, I feel like that you know I enjoy seeing patients, and so I, I wanted to um, to uh, make sure that I kind of inserted myself into that process early. But also, I wanted to get a sense of what my colleagues or or, or my the people in my division had been experiencing um, from the perspective of having been here and, and feeling 
that again, there is a lot of turnover. I wanted to get a sense of, you know, what is the population that they're serving and how, and in working with it and kind of getting immersed in it, how can I really can start to make changes that will really um, improve not only the patient access, but also improve um, their, um, you know, kind of professional satisfaction and quality of life as well. So with regard to access, um, one of the issues has been that because of our because our division uh, has supported both an inpatient and an outpatient um, setting, um, you end up when we have to cover the inpatient service and the outpatient um, uh, service uh, is um, suffers because there's less time um, less time available on the uh, outpatient service. So. One thing is just by having another person or having another two people in that pool that opens up, um, you know, appointments. Um, but also by being able to then insert myself into the the rotation pool, then that allowed the some of the other physicians to be able to then see more patients in the outpatient setting, and that improves um, access from that perspective. The other thing is that we have a utilizing. Um, uh, the uh, advanced practice providers um, in, a, in a manner that allows them to, um, to kind of work at the top of their, um, their, their uh, skill level or their license level and, and seeing patients you know, in that fashion as well. And I was able to um, leverage instead of losing uh, two uh, potential APTs uh, because of, of contract sending, I was able to creatively find a way to extend the contract and allow for two APTs to remain. And I was really pleased about that um, uh, because it certainly from a, a personal perspective, the APTs were pleased to be able to not have their contracts be ended with a very short notice. Um, and it also allowed for, because they were already experienced within our division, they could take on um, you know, more patients and, and provide um, uh, more um, uh, and provide continuity you know, of care. So, um, so that was something that I was able to do, and, and that again improved access and continuity of care. Um, and then, with regard to um, um, the um, just the overall um, pro pro professional satisfaction or professional um, um, overall well-being, uh, those changes, being able to kind of spread things out um, and to be able to um, have more. Um, you know, patients kind of being seen in, in time in a timely fashion has actually improved the morale um, of not only the physicians but the support staff as well. The nurses they're not getting phone calls from patients saying it's kind of taking months to get in. So I think that that overall has just improved the the, um, the well-being and, and and the morale of the um, of the division itself. And I have found that very rewarding to be able to say that I have gotten here and have been able to make demonstrable change in that way. It's interesting because we've, Apoorv and I do a lot of these interviews. And one thing that we hear from so many people and you seem to be expressing too, is the collaborative care model, being able to use the resources that you have and letting everybody function to the highest level that they're able to, to really care for the patient and also care for the for the physician themselves and for the other teams so that you're not experiencing the burnout. And so that the patients are able to have better access and get their medical care sooner. 
Well, I mean, I think that's your absolutely right, Stephanie. I think uh, it's about taking care of each other. Uh, and I think one other thing that struck me, Dr. Lewis, in what you just said, is that uh, you sort of figured out maybe the linchpin. If I can improve access, then I can, I, I can improve morale. I can improve how the patients are interacting with us. So I wonder if that was deliberate. You kind of knew that in advance going in, or you were working on a number of different factors, and this just turned out to be one of the key uh, things that you could improve. And if that perhaps also draw was coming from your military background, was that, you know, skills that you've gotten through that and your training there? Um, so in answer to the first uh, part of your question, Dr. Vista, um, improving access was one of my key, um, you know, kind of pillars because in recognizing when I was talking with um, uh, during the interview process and then actually once I accepted the position, I talked with the group practice managers to kind of get a sense of what's that population and, and what are our wait times and how are people being utilized currently um, in the inpatient and outpatient settings and in the clinic space. So I kind of, uh, you know, in, intentionally um, had kind of mapped out a way of how, um, based on that information, mapped out what my priorities would be and in a time frame that um, where I would kind of prioritize low hanging fruit, if you will, um, and then kind of what kinds of things I would continue to work on, but wouldn't necessarily ask for the most resources for, you know, right away. Um, and I think that, um, so, so yeah, so the answer to your question as far as was that intentional? Yes, it was, it was intentional. Improving access really, and also continuity of care. Um, uh, and, and because those two things are really integrally tied um, to uh, patient outcomes and to, um, and, all, and also just to kind of patient uh, well-being, um, which is, you know, again, something that I'm very, very vested in. I really want to take the best care um, of patients. I think that uh, you know, patients deserve to, to be able to receive, um, you know, medical care in a timely fashion um, and also, you know, appropriate comprehensive medical care, particularly at an institution that's a quaternary care facility. Um, so, um, and then with regard to kind of military background, I think that that I it's always, um, uh, you know, I don't shy away from responsibility or from a shy away from kind of, um, of, again, just kind of getting my feet wet, you know, right away, um, because I think that's key. And it's in order for the general to lead, he has to know what the troops are feeling, you know. And so, um, so again, my perspective has always been that if I'm, I'm not going to ask anyone to do something that I'm not myself doing, because otherwise, I really can't tell them how to do it, right? And so, um, so for my, if I'm going to be expected to lead them, so. Um, I, you know, like I said, I inserted myself kind of into the clinic schedule, the call schedule, and, and collaborating with other divisions very, very early on so I could get a sense of where alliances needed to be strengthened, um, you know, what the call burden and the call uh, and, and the kind of um, um, administrative burden is for from a physician perspective um, with dealing with electronic medical record and all of that. So that I could then get a sense of how things could improve and, and how realistically um, I could ask others to potentially do more or or do more with less or do things more efficiently and that kind of thing. And it's, this is still a work in progress, I, I will say. Um, but but it is rewarding to be able to see um, to see improvement in in the areas that I prioritized early um, coming to fruition uh, from from that perspective. 
it's a tremendous leadership uh, move on your part. And, um, and what it makes me wonder is, uh, is that just all innate, uh, kind of, you know, what, what comes to you and what feels natural to you? Uh, or have you had to develop that over a period of time, understanding that you've got to be out there on the front lines and really uh, serving directly and then working with your peers directly so that you can inspire their trust and confidence? Maybe you could guide us a little bit through what's your journey been like to come to that uh, realization? Absolutely. And I would say that it's a journey. I wouldn't necessarily say that it, it comes innate per se. Um, I, um, you know, I, I think that um, things that have encouraged or that have developed along the way, certainly military training and, and being um, in um, a, an environment where um, your uh, or where my um, my instincts have been trusted, uh, and 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 where my kind of clinical acumen and academic acumen has also been um, one where um, the the things have been um, you know again trusted and and, and I've had a, a good reputation you know from that perspective. And so in in developing um, that, then I think that the expectation or or the opportunities rather for leadership have come because of that um, and. I um, have not shied away uh, from from leadership opportunities, um, and I feel that that has to do with. Um, I think that there are because people of color often do not necessarily get leadership opportunities. I have felt that it's important that if I am offered a leadership opportunity, um, that it's incumbent upon me to to um, to. To, to take those opportunities and to create those opportunities, you know, as well, not only for myself, but for others as well. And to, and, and when I'm in those, uh, uh, those, um, those roles, um, to have an example such that I've paved the way for others to, to, uh, to follow in my footsteps or to, or to be better and to move forward. Um, things that I have uh, and benefited from along the way of my professional society memberships. I've also had really good mentorship. Um, and um, in, in, I am a member of the American Academy of Neurology and I was selected to be a part of the diversity leadership program um, about a year or so ago. And that was a really nice and, and very character building um, experience because it, it, I think that in medicine, uh, it's not often that you get the opportunity, particularly if you're on the clinical side of medicine, it's not often that I get the opportunity, that people get the opportunity to really focus on their leadership skills unless they're doing a business course or unless they're doing a specific, um, 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 you know, a degree, uh, you know, type course or something along those lines. Um, and I think that professional societies like the AAN, which is the American Academy of Neurology, or the AAP, which I'm also a member of, the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, recognize that physicians need courses to help them be better leaders if they're going to be able to lead in their organizations and, and create, um, you know, structural change if that's needed, or also just to have a seat at the table and have representation in, in these types of, um, you know, um, higher leadership positions. And so being selected for the diversity leadership program um, was um, really, I think, key in helping me to um, kind of to recognize a leadership style. I didn't necessarily recognize that I had a leadership style, uh, but to recognize a leadership style um, and to also um, to be exposed to other leadership styles that you can then um, 
uh, utilized depending on what the situation calls for. Sounds like you're in the perfect spot because MUSD's motto, as you said, is changing what's possible. And it sounds like you're really just thinking about things so differently, being able to think about leadership and what matters for the team that you're leading but also then how that's going to translate to better care for your patients and wondered what, what you want your patients to be left with. What feelings do you want them to have when they come see you, when they leave your office? I want my patients and families to feel that they've been heard and to also feel that they are getting the best medical care possible. I want them to feel like they come to MUSC, they're going to get the same care as they would at some, uh, you know, at another institution um, you know, that, um, you know, carries, you know, uh, the same or higher reputation. And I certainly want them to feel that um, also that they um, have found a position that they are going to part, that they can partner with, that there's a connection there, that they're not just a patient, but they're a person and that there's a, a family unit. Um, and I have found that you know, that the overwhelming majority of families that I have seen and patients that I have seen are so welcoming and thankful, um, despite having an environment where they may have not had continuity of care or where they may have had very low, um, you know, poor access to care, or they've been rescheduled for the fifth time. Uh, you know, that frustration um, has not been directed in a way that I have felt that there has been any um, you know, kind of skepticism or animosity, but if anything, it's just thank goodness you're here and 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 we are so happy that you're here and, and I hope you're not leaving anytime soon. <laughs> Dr. Lewis, I'm, I'm really fascinated by what you have to say. It's just uh, hats off to you for your leadership uh, style, your presence and, and what you're teaching us. Uh, you mentioned that you're the residency program director for the pediatric neurology. And I'd love to know how are you are teaching the, the residents the, about leadership? I mean, they're just starting off in their careers. Obviously, they have you for a role model, how lucky they are. Uh, but can they, what can they pick up at that early stage? Taking care um, of the patient um, is, is tantamount, but I'm also um, trying to, to teach and to let them know that uh, documentation of such is equally as important uh, or is very, you know, is very important. So I think that as far as kind of the professionalism perspective um, of things, um, it's in that um, it's important to make sure that we recognize not only the um, we be, uh, you know, the kind of clinical acumen, if you will, and we have a really great patient population here where there is a, a, a plethora and a wealth of, of diagnoses and, and different things to kind of within neurology for uh, residents to learn from, which is really, really interesting. Um, but not just to see the interesting patient as the, di as the diagnosis or the disease or, or in that kind of thing, but also to see the interesting patient um, as, as persons and as families that are scared and, and worried about what does this mean? What does this diagnosis mean for my child? And, and what are things going to look like, you know, going forward for the future? Uh, trying to, to, to model um, empathy and compassion and, and that ability to kind of anticipate what the next question is going to be. Try to put yourself in the, in the shoes of the family receiving, you know, this diagnosis or going through this diagnostic quest when, um, when decisions are made and plans are made and those kinds of things that certainly relay those to the families, you know, kind of verbally, but also make sure that there's a way that they can refer back to that information, whether in, in some kind of written form, um, because there's a lot that 
you, we can say to patients or that we're saying to patients in any one individual visit, um, but sometimes it's a lot for them to take in. And it's so important to make sure that there's something tangible that they can refer back to that if, some, if they were to call back and say, I really didn't understand what the condition says, can you just tell me what this means if we're not available to, um, you know, to, to provide that immediate feedback that there's some way of someone being able to look and, and, and look at a note or, or look at something and say, well, this is what, you know, what was, was said during, um, you know, during that, during your visit and, 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 and that they can then, um, you know, have something that in a, in a written format um, uh, document, you know, what the, the thought process was and what the, what the plan was. You were talking several times about how important it is to treat the patients like people and like family. And you shared with us that you had a premature daughter who was born at 24 weeks years ago, who's now fine, thank goodness. But how did that experience of being a NICU mom to a 24-weeker change the way that you treat patients? And how does it impact your everyday treatment plans? I think that um, that was an, an experience that uh, you know, I was a child neurology resident myself, uh, or fellow at the time myself, when I found myself um, one weekend going in, going shopping with my mother-in-law, thinking that, oh, I'm going to buying some clothes, or, you know, I'm starting to show. And then the next thing I knew, my blood pressure was up and I was in the hospital and 24, you know, 48 hours later, we're delivering, you know, my, my 24-weeker. Um, and so having that, um, having the, the floor drop out from under you, you know, I, I completely um, kind of understand that feeling and, and the fear of, of what to do next, you know, as far as kind of what, what is this, what is this going to mean for, um, you know, for my child, for the family kind of going forward. Uh, you know, I, I understand, you know, kind of that, that, that feeling and that thought process that a parent would, you know, potentially go through. Um, and like I said, and thankfully, yes, and my, my oldest, uh, she's now 12 and she's wonderful. And, uh, but she spent three months in the NICU. Um, and, um, and, uh, you know, I understand the determination of when, of, of, in the feeling of, of parents who kind of feel helpless and want to hang on to one thing that they control and one thing that they can do because everything else is just out of their control and it's up to their face, you know, or, or whatever it is. Right. And so for me, um, you know, even though I was a physician myself, and I certainly understood all the outcomes and possibilities and that kind of thing. But for me, the one thing that I could do, and the one thing that I could control was getting there every day to see my my daughter in the NICU, and then also um, the breastfeeding and, and being able to pump, you know, the, that was so important to me. Um, and I would say that one of my proudest moments in the NICU was getting, you know, getting a, an award for producing, uh, you know, a, a lot of um, um, uh, um, you, know, you know, milk and that kind of thing. But I think that my point with that story is that I think it's really important to, to give hope and to also allow the, a, a feeling of control in a situation where there really is, um, you know, a, a, to some extent, you know, a, a lack of control. And, and, and that will require kind of partnering with the family to find out what's most important to them. Um, and then working from there to figure out how you can help them hold on to what's most important to them. Uh, because you're not going to be able to necessarily, uh, you know, control the outcome and control everything. But if you find out what's important and, and then partner together to say, I'm working with you, you know, and, and, and to, to work with, um, you know, what you're, what, what's most important. And I, I think that that um, will, you know, speak 
uh, bound you know, to the family and it really allows you to kind of partner and, and move forward together. Um, and so that experience for me, you know, certainly helped me to, to from a holistic perspective, kind of be on the other side, um, really taught me that. Um, and then also I really uh, had uh, a really great medical team uh, that uh, listened to me um, and, um, and again, really allowed, uh, you know, the, the, my own kind of fear to be heard. Um, without without fear, you know, kind of a judgment or in, in that kind of thing. So I think that that's really important as well. Well, thank you so much. We can tell that that obviously made a big impact and you're making such an impact at MUSC. They're definitely lucky to have you there. And thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's really been an honor. Um, and I really am thankful for the opportunity to be here and to, to work with the community and looking forward to many more years. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you all for watching. Bye-bye.